HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. This week on Meet and 3, we're looking at things that have changed and things that are still in flux. From mothers balancing new lifestyles to the social stigma surrounding pumpkin spice. You got rid of the star rating system and talked about, like, I'm not going to use the word ethnic when I talk about food. They recognized that safety was our motivation, and, and they were very you know, receptive to the changes, understanding what we were trying to accomplish. A cupcake or a piece of bacon or a glass of rosé is not inherently gendered. Tune in to Meet and 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. Life's a Banquet, a podcast in the French language. Bonjour. I'm your host, Zara Tangora, and Nicole Bailey. I'm your host, Zara Tangora, and doesn't really work. (laughs) I meant to say with your hosts, but we had already had to restart the show due to technical errors, and I didn't have it in me to restart again. So I'm the host, and someone else seems to be here again. It's Nicole. (laughs) J'excuse. We're both drinking French wine Mm -hmm. because today is National French Appreciation Day here in America. See the play. Yeah. Uh, I'm having Syrah wine. Nicole, what are you having? I'm having Cremant. Cremant? Cremant? Cremant de Borgogna. Get on my level. Delicious. You're having the bubbles. I'm having some red wine. I've been really into drinking. That's it. (laughs) I've been really into drinking. (laughs) (laughs) I've been really into drinking and... (laughs) No, that's all. Uh, No, I've been really into drinking red wine as of late, which is, you know, not that I, of course, I love many wines, but um, (laughs) all kinds. But I haven't really drank red wine, you know, by myself at my home for a while. I'm usually a white wine or orange wine at home person. But who knows? Crazy things are happening. Also, it is actually, this is a good thing that it's the French appreciation day or whatever you made up um 
because <laughs> I saw it's not a good thing, but I just saw that it's Beaujolais Nouveau times, I guess. And oh, that I I really I am I'm into it. I like a light, boopy red that tastes like juice. But they don't have that shit here in Indiana. They, nobody's like, oh my god, for a limited time only, we have these fucking Beaujolais that you can't open until whatever date. They're just like, that. what are you talking about? What is a chilled red? Right. They're like, the <sighs> boxes are over there, the bottles are over there. They only have that old-ass Beaujolais out in Indiana. Dusty old Beaujolais <laughs> of yesteryear. <laughs> I like a youthful wine myself. <laughs> they have Beaujolais stacked inside an old dusty mausoleum. Yeah, I like to rob the cradle when it comes to wine. Sure, I feel you. <laughs> um, what else is going on? How art thou? Uh, what's the temp out in Indiana? The temp outside is about 48 degrees, and the temp inside my parents' bedroom is about 48 degrees. Uh, oh. <laughs> so I'm freezing my ass off. <laughs> what's the vibe like? What's everybody feeling? I have on I don't know. I don't. I mean, I don't interact with anyone outside of my family. So, well, how's your world? family doing? They're all super crazy. Yeah, I, um, well. I found a really cute outfit today, though, and I felt like someone should have to see it. So I just went out of my house and bought some wine. Oh, amazing! <laughs> so someone could see my cute outfit. <laughs> and you just like whip open your overcoat and did a twirl. Did you get any compliments? No. No, I did not. Disappointing. Disappointing. You know, I feel like I've, I don't know, I've kind of like hit a middle ground with putting on outfits, which is over the summer, I feel very comfortable throwing on like bike shorts and a dusty old tank top and kind of prancing around and let my hair go wild. Dusty? You, yeah. Why are they everything dusty? is. Well, because I was, I was all up in that old Beaujolais <laughs> racket, just peddling elderly Beaujolais and I got dust on me. <laughs> Um, and now that it's fall, right, right, I'm like, right, I want to dress cute, cool. but like, yeah, 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 yeah. But, um, I can't, you know, I don't have anywhere to wear like a pair of dress slacks too. So I'm, I'm trying to find that middle ground, which I know is the worst problem facing anyone right now is what to wear. Am I right, everybody? What do you wear? Yeah, but I feel like in New York, it's like, you know, I would just always kind of wear a cute outfit when I left the house. And here in Indiana, I'm just like, no one, first of all, no one is appreciating this, but like on so many levels where they're like, in New York, people are at least like, oh yeah, this person has a certain look, a certain style, whatever. But in Indiana, everyone's like, huh, there goes that (laughs) woman dressed as a man, but with woman boots on. (laughs) There goes that woman walking down the street for some reason. We can't figure it out. (laughs) I guess she must have lost her license in a DUI situation. Oh, I I was riding my bike the other day, which is very scary here because there are very few bike lanes where I'm at. There are some bike lanes in downtown. I'm not trying to totally put Indiana on blast. Um, but I drove by these, like, fucking teenagers playing basketball, and they're like, did you lose your car? <laughs> I know you said that last week. Unless they, like, harassed you again. Are they following you, this roving band of bad oh, teens? No. But that's the most, first of all, it's the most social interaction I've had in months. <laughs> Um, so I just have to keep repeating the story to just to make sure it really happened. Well, if this was a movie, the like meanest one out of the bunch would somehow become like you're you know, you take them under your wing, somehow form a friendship, you'd end up making them like macaroni and cheese, realizing that like one of their parents wasn't really around taking care of them. 
the parent, like the mother would probably get irritated with you as stepping in as like a mother figure for the kid. And, but it would end well, obviously, as most films do. I feel like it would be more like I would teach him to like ride bikes in the city. And then Mm. it would be like the end, the final scene would be like at the very last scene of, um, Saving Private Ryan? No, but the one with Meg (laughs) Ryan and Nicolas Cage. What is that called? Oh, City of Angels? Yeah, it'll be like, like, oh my God, I'm so happy that I taught this kid to ride a bike. And in the final scene, I ride in a mountain, like on a mountain road with no hands and my eyes closed and I get killed by a truck full of dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Which, spoiler alert, is the end of City of Angels. I'm sorry, everyone. (laughs) Oh my God, that movie sucks i have to be honest <laughs> it's so bad i tried watching it recently oh man I, it's trash i have affection for it but you know i haven't seen it in a long time and i just think it's the most i have a lot of affection for these movies that are just like so like unrelentingly like like manipulative with your emotions mm. Like, mm. like the other one is message in a bottle oh classic Clark Costner Newman vehicle teaming up the dream team like are you kidding me are you get emotionally invested in these people and they just get die at sea or whatever I don't even remember what happens that's um, what happens another spoiler alert Costner <laughs> perishes in the sea no but first his wife dies and he like barely can get over it until he meets Robin Wright Penn Robin Wright Wright um and- <laughs> Wright <laughs> Also known as Jenna. Um, <laughs> and then she's like, dude, check out this message in a bottle I found. And he's like, oh my God, a lot of complicated stuff is happening, but we should fall in love. And then, by the way, I'm going to go die, meet my maker, meet my wife in heaven. <laughs> After two hours of you guys just sitting here watching me finally fall in love. Oh, but it's such like watching Kevin Costner be romantic <laughs> is one of the most satisfying things. It's like, it's like melting hot butter over a steak wow settle down settle down it's just it's just like oiling i mean (laughs) excuse um no but that that costner man he's good but that movie is also ridiculous now we're gonna if you want to watch kevin costner be romantic with with no none of the main characters that you've invested in dying watch the upside of anger it's great great movie Great movie. Love I watched that on your recommendation, and I have watched it a couple times since. I love I, it. I have never regretted it. And you see my breakup movie because of the scenes where Diane Lane is uh, just throwing huge bottles of vodka into her cart. Yes, but it's not Diane Lane. Oh, right. I always do this. It's Joan Allen. Joan Allen. Sorry, Joan. I no relation to Tim Allen. <laughs> inflate you with <laughs> Diane Lane, who is kind of a crazy person, but. That, that's another movie that's insane is Under the Tuscan Sun, which I've is never seen that movie. Definitely one of the most, you know, it's just every time I watch movies like this, I'm just like, okay, I'm enjoying this. And it's also making me realize that I could be a screenwriter, which <laughs> I've recently taken a stab at uh, because of watching movies like Under the Tuscan Sun. I was like this, no offense to whoever wrote that movie, who I'm sure is listening, but Nora Ephron. <laughs> <laughs> Nora Ephron ghost wrote it. She might've punched up the script, but, um, man, it's just so bad. Like the writing's uh, that, bad. The story's unbelievable. I just feel like the, anytime Amazon or the streaming services are like, Hey, we know you like rom-coms. Do you want to watch this one? And I'm like, 
I know this one is bad because you're giving it to me for free. Because all exactly. the only movies that they have for free are really shitty ones. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like, what did I just watch the other day? What's the one with Meg Ryan and, and Matthew Broderick that I told you that I watched where they're spying on their exes? Oh, it's something love, like addicted to love. Addicted to love. Now that is the bottom you of know, the barrel. Funny. I actually read a review of it recently where someone was like, this movie is actually good. <gasps> I mean, I enjoyed it and I love Meg Ryan. She's the best, but I mean, it's psychotic. The problem is Matthew Broderick cannot be like a sexy sex, a person that you would want to have sex with. Like he can't be like a love interest. He can't be. I just watched Jingle. No, Deck the Halls, Uh which is Danny DeVito versus Matthew Broderick. Yes. You've seen this movie? Yes. Long ago. (laughs) I've never seen it before. Uh, It's completely unhinged, but um, yeah, Matthew Broderick in it is just like a sexless I just think he is a weirdo or he plays a weirdo really well. I don't know. I just don't ever want to sleep with him. Yeah. So this film is horrible. Going crazy about his ex-girlfriend seems a little bit too believable, I think. And that's why I don't really like it. And poor Meg Ryan, she was just trying to play against type, but yeah, they try to do it a lot with like her clothes in that movie. Yes. And they made her like a biker. And then they all, and and she was hair. like, her she had to be hair. like so badass. And like the same thing happened in that movie when a man loves a woman with Andy Garcia and they make her into like an alcoholic so she can play right. against type. And really we, I, we're going to talk a lot about Meg Ryan later in this episode. Well, I don't think they make her into an alcoholic. She chose that role. <laughs> she is an alcoholic. This just been from the wires of the Associated Press. <laughs> Meg Ryan is a real life alcoholic. So sue us. Um, that was a documentary <laughs> about her real life. <laughs> uh, oh my God. Wait, I want to say one thing before we get into our topic today, because I really don't watch a lot of television. I, I do watch a lot of movies, but I really haven't gotten into a series in a long time. And I just need to give some props to something that everyone else already knows about, except for me, Fargo. Seasons one and two. Three is fine. Four, mm. I have not watched yet. Have you watched this show? Yeah, I started it. I think I also have a problem with Colin Hanks a little bit. Uh, oh, and Chet Hanks. Uh, so you hate the whole Hanks family? No, I had no. I didn't even know Chet Hanks existed until this summer. Yeah, he. Oh, he exists. <laughs> He's the one to direct your anger at. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't have any anger towards Colin. I just there's something about him that's like I don't know. You think I, he looks he... too much like Tom Hanks <laughs> and no. Rita Wilson? <laughs> <laughs> No, he definitely looks like, what is your baby going to look like? He looks like one of those composite. Remember when those things? Were- <laughs> yes. Can I take a quick detour here and tell you a story? My mom and I used to, I, I told you, would you this. just genetics though, right? Yes, that's genetics. So my mom and I used to like knock it along at all when I was a teen and she like met my stepdad and they went on vacation once in the height of us not getting along and they went to the Grand Canyon and they had taken a photo of them as a composite of what their child would look like. Now, bear in mind, we were like barely even ever speaking to each other at this time. I was maybe like 16. And they came home and they named this composite Tovar and they like put a frame around it and like put it on the, and like then also stuck it to the fridge framed. <laughs> That's okay. To make me just like face with the child that they like wish they had Tovar. Instead of me, it was horrible. I took no, that tow okay. bar down and I ripped yeah. it up. Okay, first of all, it's not like they wish they'd had that child instead of you. 
They just wish they would have met at a time in their lives where they could have had a child. Well, now they'll never know what it would have looked like because I was I mean, so upset that I took it down and I ripped it into little bits. It's for the best because Tovar is not, I mean, sorry to your mom, but Tovar the name is... No, Tovar the person turns into a serial killer. That's a definite. We know that <laughs> for sure. Am I right? Everyone named Tovar? Sorry, don't come for me. <laughs> this is Nicole speaking. <laughs> Are you sure it's not like... Tuvar, like Tuvar. It was actually Tupac. <laughs> <laughs> that is very funny. Um, okay. Should we get into this week's topic, which is not much of a divergence from what we're already talking about? Yeah. So it's funny that you said that you watching Under the Tuscan Sun makes you feel like you could be a screenwriter. I think when I tell you about my topic, you are going to think that you could be a screenwriter even more. Although there are a lot of surprising twists and turns in here that I'm impressed by. I feel like this will make us, I still feel like this will make us think we can, anyone can write a goddamn screenplay and just just go out there and do it. Okay. Okay. Everyone don't take one of those master classes. (laughs) (laughs) So I decided to do, we were, our our overreaching theme is rom-coms, but I decided to do Hallmark movies and I don't really know why, because I'm not a big fan of these. My sister is. Mm. Um, I just was kind of searching around for a topic, and one of the things that came up was this wonderful article titled 10 Hallmark Movies for Foodies. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm intrigued. HarltonEmpire.com. And so it sort of led me down a rabbit hole. My sister is into these movies, like, you know, ironically or whatever, and she yeah. has app on her phone so i do have these 10 movies and i'm going to describe them to you based on the descriptions here on this website but i also have a couple of extra add-ons oh, uh, amazing sent to me from her app so also oh, just great. for your information there are at least 250 food holiday movies from hallmark but that doesn't even mm. scratch the surface of just plain food related holiday film or hallmark films so what yeah, I'm going to give you a list of 10, but there are easily 4 billion more. Sounds like so, there's, by that math, there might be th- tens of thousands? It could be, because I also, I didn't do any Lifetime movies. These are all oh, Hallmark movies. So Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. So are you ready? Yeah. Okay. The first film is, we're going to ease into this. This is a simple one. Okay, it's great. called A Taste of Summer. <laughs> and okay. this is what it's about. Gabby Farrar moves to the town of Brightshore, Massachusetts to open a restaurant after a stint as a sous chef in New York City. Ever heard of it? <laughs> Not classic. Classic move. <laughs> Upon arrival, she encounters Caleb Delancey, a single father who runs his own restaurant and coaches the girls' softball team. What? Bo- <laughs> Both restaurants have to compete in the Taste of Summer Food Festival. During the course of the summer, Gabby finds joy in running her own restaurant. Yeah, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> As she discovers her passion and gets to know Caleb. Gets to know Caleb is how they're describing this romance. They're right. getting to know each other. Okay. Does that mean they're, is that Hallmark for banging? I would hope so. It's just Hallmark for fingering. He's fingered her. That's getting to know her. Finger blasting her. Okay. <laughs> the next one is called Cooking with Love. Okay. I'm in. Optimistic and cheerful TV producer Kelly doesn't have time for love. And bad boy celebrity chef Steven with a PH doesn't have time <laughs> for anything besides cooking. He can't even go to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, fun with a side of love ensues as Kelly and Steven are paired on a children's cooking show. Wow. What an interesting plot twist. Yes, I know. Children. Okay. This is called Appetite for Love. Whoa. That's what I have, just so that everybody knows out there. They know. Uh, <laughs> they were born knowing. Appetite for Love. Mina has everything going for her. A boyfriend who has meticulously planned out their lives. And a yeah, great that job. sounds great. Hold on. Listen to this. This is the greatest name of a company I've ever heard. She has a great job with international corporate brands. <laughs> Perfect. Dream job. Totally amazing. Anti-capitalist uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. food conglomerate. So, but her world is turned upside down when her job sends her to her own hometown in Tennessee, where she must convince an old, stubborn restaurant owner to sell his property. There's just one problem. The restaurant is now owned by her ex-boyfriend, Clay, who claims he will never sell. He resists her negotiations every step of the way. And all the while, sparks fly. (laughs) (laughs) I love that, sparks fly. I hope that happens someday for me. I just, like, finally meet Mr. A, and all of a sudden he just, like, sparks just start flying out of his (laughs) mouth and ears. Oh, that sounds like you would be dating a robot. But so I <laughs> like what is international corporate brands deal where they're like, hey, you have to go back to your hometown and convince a restaurant owner to sell his property. I guess they probably want to build like a cheesecake factory on there. Yeah, so. they want to put a, a hula hands there. They've got, got lots got of flair and they need somewhere to put it. Got it. Yeah. OK, moving on. A dash of love. When? And if I... Sorry. When an aspiring chef lands an assistant job at her idol's restaurant, she's convinced (laughs) that her big break is just around the corner. Sure. After a rocky start, she befriends the handsome executive chef, who is not the idol. Um, She befriends the handsome executive chef, which is a bad idea. Tell me. And they begin bonding in the kitchen. So she's an assistant at a restaurant. I don't even know what that means. An assistant what? That's exactly right. And then she's bonding with the executive chef, which we all know is impossible. Yes, that would never happen. <laughs> Unless you're a bottle of whiskey or like a tiny bottle of a tiny bag of cocaine. Um, or so another maybe, dude. They're bonding in the kitchen. I don't even know what she's doing back there. Um, but her sh- joy is short-lived when she discovered that her idol is stealing her recipes. Oh, she must be... <gasps> And the idol fires them both to protect her secret. Together. Wow. <laughs> wow. Together, they set out to create their own pop-up restaurant and discover <laughs> the most important ingredient is love. Um, isn't that the truth, ladies and germs? <laughs> Speaking of ingre- ingredients, this one's called Recipe for Love. Okay, I'm interested. Okay. How many cups one- of flour? This one's long, so stick with me, guys. Okay? okay. We're here. Lauren has always loved to cook and is a proud perfectionist at her job at Food and Entertainment Magazine's Test Kitchen. Mm. <laughs> okay, so this is like ghostwritten. It's about Allison Roman. I don't think that who would subscribe to Food and Entertainment Magazine? Like, how are they going to get all of those topics into one magazine every month? That's a very good point. Okay, go on. Um, <laughs> anyway, she works in the test kitchen, but she dreams of being able to finally afford culinary school in Paris. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Great use of funds. 
yeah, yeah. When her boss offers her a bonus if she agrees to write to ghostwrite the cookbook of a difficult celebrity chef, I'm guessing maybe a bad boy. <laughs> Lauren sees her dream becoming a reality as soon as she can tame the notorious bad boy chef in question, Dexter Durant. <laughs> Rip from the headlines. As she peels back the layers of his tough guy persona, she starts seeing a different vulnerable vulnerable side to this big shot chef. Suddenly, their dueling culinary styles become the perfect complement in the kitchen, and the attraction starts to boil over. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> love it. Great. That was a long one. I, I love that she's peeling the layer. There's so many puns. Good job. Over so that. many puns. And also Dexter Durant, bad boy, celebrity chef. I bet he has a pig parts tattoo and yeah, also a cleaver sister, tattoo. My sister was like, why are all the chefs bad boys? And I'm like, this is actually cold from life. They wish they were bad boys. Um, <laughs> love by chance. Oh, interesting. Doesn't ring food to me at first, unless well, it's about a fortune cookie. Get ready. Okay. Okay. Claire. She's an ambitious, <laughs> an ambitious pastry chef. Ah, mm-hmm. She's busy running her new restaurant. I guess she's a pastry chef, but she has a whole restaurant. I don't know. A pastry restaurant, of course. Yeah. A dessert sure. bar. Like the milk bar. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's busy running her new restaurant, but her meddling mom is preoccupied with her lack of a love life. <laughs> Without Claire's knowledge, her mother finds her the perfect man. But when Claire finds out it wasn't fake that brought them together... It could ruin the relationship. Absolutely, Mom. Stay out of the kitchen. Too many cooks in the kitchen, Mom. Am I right? No, but it says here that it's the perfect man. So he's perfect for her. Everything's fine. And then she finds out that her mom fixed them up and she refuses to date him. That's... Yeah, I mean, it's better than finding out... Is movie about this? No. Totally. It's better than finding out that he wears those, like, shoes with the toes, you know... I mean, that's a real deal breaker. The mom thing, I mean, that's annoying, but whatever. I just can't believe it. I don't really like it when the plot devices are so obvious to just keep the movie going on longer. Right. Um, I also just watched Pitch Perfect last night, mm-hmm. the, which is a pretty great movie, except it for is. the fact that the Anna Kendrick, I mean, it was from 2012, so like whatever, but still, it's like Anna Kendrick is like this hard-ass DJ wannabe who pushes everyone away so that the reason that she breaks up with her love interest is because he's there for her. It's just yeah. very... It's weak. And maybe just yeah. didn't, didn't even need to be in there at all, you know? Absolutely. And moving up. <laughs> the sweetest heart. Mm. Maddie is doing everything that she can to save her cupcake business. <laughs> <laughs> was this written in, like, the year 2006? This sounds no, like a 2006. No, if, if it was, she wouldn't have to save it. It would be doing fine. Oh, that's true. She's like, why did I start this cupcake business 14 years too late? Yeah, it's exactly right. Uh, 14 years is finally said that. So she's doing everything she can to save her business, but she needs the help of a handsome investment banker. Who's and 14? Who- <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> She gets a handsome investment banker to somehow turn everything around. I don't know. He probably just gives her a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but her first love, Nate, unexpectedly returns home after 14 years. <gasps> she will have to choose between her new romance and the man she never stopped loving. Oh, my gosh. But what about the cupcakes? What happens to all the cupcakes? 
I don't know. I, hopefully there's a scene where they like push all the cupcakes onto the floor and have sex on the marble countertop. <laughs> Amazing. I would love that. Um, yeah, also a montage sure. where you like pipe frosting. That's cute. Whatever. Yeah, there's a lot to do visually do with cupcakes. You can put some sprinkles on them. You can put a candle in one of them. You can put some Oreo chunks on top. You can put a jelly bean on top. I mean, yeah. the possibilities I mean, are think- endless talking about a montage here putting one jelly bean on top of a cupcake isn't really like montage material you know (laughs) well in my movie it's going to be all about singular (laughs) jelly it's going to be a character study and the character is the jelly bean okay um this one is one of my favorites it's called i mean i've never seen it but based on the description Mm. i kind of want to watch it it's called pumpkin pie wars ah love it seasonally appropriate (laughs) 10 years ago Faye and Lydia each opened their own bakeries in Emeryville, Ohio. I don't know why it's so specific. <laughs> specific. Maybe it's a true story. <laughs> so Faye and Lydia each opened their own bakeries after a personal and professional fallout during a local pumpkin pie contest. So that sentence made me laugh out loud when I was reading it because yes. <laughs> the idea of having a fallout during a pumpkin pie contest is so amusing to me. Um, Imagine if that were the, your worst problem. <laughs> oh, I see. I was confused about this. This is like a Romeo and Juliet situation. Okay, so now their <laughs> children and co-workers, uh-huh. Casey and Sam, are set to carry on the rivalry as they go head-to-head in the same contest. There's only one problem for these two people are supposed to hate each other. They start to fall in love. Uh-oh. 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 Pumpkin pie love. Pumpkin pie sex. Sexing on some pies tonight. Okay. No singing. <laughs> Sexing on some pies tonight. <laughs> Let's cut that out. Uh, Sexing. <laughs> moving on. Just desserts. Okay. Grace is a disgruntled uptown dessert chef. Okay. Mm-hmm. Marco Polo is a brooding downtown baker. His name is Marco Polo. Oh yeah, but okay. is there like is it the Marco Polo? Like, is there a time machine element to this? Unclear. But so here's why I'm confused: because it says Marco Polo is a brooding. She's an uptown dessert chef, and he's a brooding downtown baker. But he's uh-huh. trying to save his family's Bronx bakery. So I don't know if they know where stuff is in New York, but that's fine. Mm. Right, you don't even have to, like, know anything about New York to just write a movie and get it on TV. How much do you think these people make? Probably a lot. Um, Unbelievable. Anyway, so Marco Polo bakes up a scheme (laughs) to team up with Grace and win the prestigious Golden Whisk competition. The unlikely duo cooks up a recipe for love. (laughs) 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 But will a secret ingredient guarantee their future together? This stars Lauren Hawley. From Dumb and Dumber fame. Oh, wow. Your favorite actress. Um, She's what? Is she? your, your favorite actress, Lauren Holly. Oh, you know what? I know Lauren Holly. She's the redhead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's my Dumb. favorite actress. She's <laughs> Merry Christmas from Dumb and Dumber. Anyway. Yes. Uh, this is Operation Cupcake. Again with the cupcakes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, when Army Colonel Griff, Dean Kane. Oh, Dean Kane From Superman, the TV sure. show. Um, he returns home from Germany on a two-month leave. He considers retiring if he doesn't get promoted to general. <laughs> being <Of course>. away, 
course. Being away on deployment has been hard on him, separating him from his wife, who is Christy Swanson. Oh, my God. That's Buffy from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the movie. Oh, my goodness. Christy Swanson, Cupcake Slayer. We might have to watch this as an all-star cast. Okay. I'm into it. Anyway, being away on deployment has been hard on him, separating him from his wife and his two teenagers. Um... With his kids growing up and his wife busy opening a second bake shop with a slimy business partner, mm. Griff suddenly feels he no longer fits into his own family. Hoping to give himself a sense of duty, his wife assigns him to help her run her quaint cupcake shop. At first reluctant, he starts to take a military approach to his new job. Just never say ex- that. Never expecting it to backfire. Soon, the bakery is a war zone. <laughs> <laughs> frustrated like- <laughs> his wife threatens to cut him out of their lives for good okay first of all what <laughs> come on okay so she's telling her husband who's a war veteran that she needs to run this bakery and he does such a bad job of it that she threatens to cut him out of her life, never let him see their children again because he, he can't probably, run the bakery. Very he probably has like terrible PTSD and is like just barely trying to get through every day, realizing that now he's like randomly a cupcake owner, shop owner, doing his best. He's fucking Dean Kane for God's sakes! What the hell? I know. Also, I bet he's aged well. Um, so Ugh. this is actually a screenplay that I would never have thought of. Never. <laughs> Never in a million years. This is quality. Now, whoever wrote this film, remind me, Cupcake Wars is what it's called? This is called Operation Cupcake. Right. This is quality television. And I'm not being uh, sarcastic. It's actually quite creative. It is. Okay. So this is um, the ones from the website. Oh, hold on. I want to read the final pair or the final sentence here because it's very funny. So as to remind everyone of what just happened, she's going to threaten to cut them out of cut him out of their lives. <laughs> but he refuses to give up. He's determined to prove to his family that he's ready to be a full time father or else face the lonely life of a solitary military man. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a conundrum for D. Kane. For D. Jeez. Okay. So my sister told me about this one and. It's called Christmas a la mode. (laughs) (laughs) It's about a woman who works on her dead dad's dairy farm. That is a tongue twister. I, you know, alliteration. I like, I'm paraphrasing Mm -hmm. here. I made this up. Okay. Um, And this Christmas, the dairy farm is falling on hard times. So uh, her sister shows up with a hot business partner and she's like, we should just sell the farm. Just like in Field of Dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the woman, I think her name's Emily. She was like, oh my God, I'm just going to buy my sister out, even though we're on hard times. I'm just going to buy my sister's shares and I'm going to launch an online holiday ice cream flavor contest and it's going to go viral. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Also would not have thought of that. That's very specific. Yeah. Um, it does go viral because the secret ingredient is the hot business partner is really good at making apple pie. So uh-huh. he puts it in the ice cream and they make ice cream with apple pie chunks in it. Whoa. Wow. Amazing. I thought you were going to say they put like a bola in it and it goes viral <laughs> or <laughs> makes everybody sick. Oh, I see. Viral. A virus. That's a virus joke because yeah. I know it's, everyone thinks viruses are hilarious right now. 
Um, so I just wanted, I kind of want to watch this because I want to see how Hallmark represents something going viral. Mm-hmm. Like, I just want to see how they do that. But um, unfortunately, a video going viral is not enough to save the farm, which is realistic. You know, how are you going to monetize that? Yeah, but absolutely. Yeah, It's revealed, this is a spoiler alert, it's revealed that the handsome business partner is actually like in the heir to a huge pie fortune. And so <laughs> they come in with the apple pie cash and they save the day. A pie fortune. Wouldn't that be just very sweet? Yeah. My sister has seen this movie and she was like, She's like, yeah, I mean, he's like the heir to the Marie Calendar fortune or something. And I was like, this is very funny. That's incredible. Although your worst nightmare is someone who doesn't like pie. What would you do if you met someone who was pretty much perfect for you, but then you found out they were the heir to a, a pie fortune? Well, I can't really see myself being with someone who has inherited a large amount of money. Yes, I know. That's the problem number one. And number two, if you're the heir to some fortune, you don't have to, like, just eat it all the time or, like... Right. That's very true. I have a feeling somebody the other day was like, you must eat a lot of lasagna because I make a lot of lasagna. I was like, I don't remember the last time I had lasagna. Just because I'm the heir to a lasagna fortune. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Doesn't mean that I've ever tried it. Yeah, you've never even tasted it before. I I don't even know what it tastes like, and I don't fucking care. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, just a couple couple more. Oh, okay. I do have an update, though. So my sister sent me this. It's completely unrelated, but it has something to do with what we talked about last week, which is that the Charlie Brown Christmas special actually will air on regular television this year. What? Yeah, PBS got it so that it will air. The Christmas the, special will. Yeah, so that the Charlie Brown specials will air. All of them. Yeah, so PBS, because, yeah, you know, it's really horrible that people that don't have – subscriptions to apple can't watch it like little kids with families and regular tv it's really messed up terrible so, oh anyway, that's great that's relieving yeah. I'm happy to know that. god bless pbs i guess we should give them some money okay this one is called sorry we're moving back to let la- to hallmark movies my sister sent me these literally screen grab from the app on her phone she has a hallmark movie app on her phone just god bless her this one's called you're baking me crazy Oh, yep. Never seen it, but I'm very excited to hear about it. It's Cleo, an aspiring Portland chef. She tries to win a food truck competition while the competition tries to win her heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and here's some more food truck action. This is called Truly, Madly, Sweetly. Natalie, the owner of a San Francisco food truck business selling cupcakes. God <laughs> damn it. <laughs> Uh, but it does say something about their audience. I mean, not to, you know, stereotype the whole Hallmark audience, but it I would imagine it, there's a lot of cupcake lovers mm-hmm. that are packed in there. Am I am I is that fair to say? I think that it's I think screenwriters who don't really understand the culinary world because they live in small towns or you know in in not in the coastal elite cities. Mm, yeah. <laughs> They probably just need something that's going to translate. So if you're not really familiar with the food truck, what's something that you would think that a food truck would have? Like, why would I go to a food truck? Like, yeah, that's a good point. There, Grandma, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So, Natalie. I mean, they're in San Francisco, theoretically, in this. but um, I've never seen a cupcake food truck, just to put that out there. Yeah, I know. I mean, we're we're here to debunk all of these plots. but um, <laughs> This doesn't exist in New York City, you basic bitches. <laughs> 
So, okay, Natalie, the owner of a San Francisco food truck business that sells cupcakes, and Eric, a finance manager and divorced dad. Uh-huh. <laughs> Why can't he be widowed so there's no pesky ex-wife? I know that's um, true. Well, it could be a ghost. They're brought together when Eric's aunt passes away and leaves them both a building, which happens to be the site of a once famous bakery. <laughs> what are the odds? Why would this reminds me of another very bad rom-com, which is the one where Catherine Heigl and some dude have to raise a baby together because the parents die. They have to raise it together in the parents' house. Oh, yeah. Dead parent baby holiday. So, but this is the thing. This is just also the same thing with baby boom. Like, there, I don't think there's any scenario where you can get surprised that someone left you a baby in their will because you have to, like, sign papers and stuff for this. Yeah. Like, you can't just be like, oh, we forgot to tell you that we left our daughter to you for when we die. You had right. that discussion beforehand. <laughs> exactly. You want to know that the other person is willing to do that. Baby yeah. Boom with Diane Keaton. Great film. Wonderful film, but, you know, suspend your disbelief that the her cousins, of all people, want this bitter career woman to raise their child. She's like, how could I possibly raise a little baby? I have too many turtlenecks. And... I'm too chic for this in general. Yeah. But and she I does one it. Final, I have one final, this is not a movie, but it's in fact a series called Murder She Baked. <laughs> okay. The premise is, I mean, it's a TV series, so. But basically, a baker and a police chief solve crimes together in a small Minnesota town. Love it. And that's a series? <laughs> yeah. In- very interesting Hallmark channel. I'm really excited to see what we could come up with. Maybe we can mention a couple next week from the Lifetime channel. Yeah. I feel like there's going to be a lot more like intrigue and murder in the Lifetime movies. Definitely. Well, you know, it's funny. Whenever we're looking up a topic, I'm always like, I'll Google whatever it is, like pumpkin. And then I'll Google like pumpkin murder. <laughs> and there very frequently is something to do with murder, no matter what. People, this just in, people love murdering. As I yeah. found out from like the nonstop uh, audiobooks that I've listened to about murder in the past. I started like around Halloween time. I think I mentioned this already. But now I'm just really hooked and I'm just like, I think I need to get off this, like constantly in my ear listening to books about serial killers. And some of them love cupcakes. (laughs) I really, I mean, I'm surprised that you just figured this out. I think the millionaires from uh, What Murder Is This? What is that show called? (laughs) What? What millionaire murder? A millionaire murder mystery? (laughs) Millionaire (laughs) Millionaire murder mystery makeout sash? It's a Uh, dating show about murderers who are rich. Get out My of it. favorite millionaire murder. They figured that out a long time ago. Oh, yes. My favorite millionaire murder. They did figure that out. No, I mean, I've always listened to things about true crime, like usually podcasts and um, or like, you know, read a book. But there's something about listening to an audiobook all about one serial killer. It's like 14 hours in your directly into your brain. <laughs> I can't really do audiobooks. I just don't have the attention span. I'm so, I'm so deeply into it. All right, should we take a quick break and come back at you? Yes. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's. 
home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. All right, and we're back. Hi. Hi, how are you? We're involved in some kind of strange scenario of two people who would never normally meet. They don't get along at first, then they do get along, then they break up. There's always a quirky friend, a random kind of bizarre (laughs) profession. There often is a lot of cooking. There's a lot of cooking in rom-coms. Yeah, a lot of food, um, but like not in the normal way that people would actually eat it. Yeah, usually. I mean, also another weird thing about, I mean, movies in general, but I find it to be the case way more in romantic comedies and movies where they're not actually really trying for any kind of realistic effect. Like they'll order burgers or something and then it arrives like five seconds later. Or like (laughs) someone will order a cocktail and like 10 seconds pass and there's like fancy cocktail, like a giant Mai Tai in a scorpion bowl or whatever. (laughs) It's like arrived at the table. So I'm going to talk today at length about something that is very easy. I basically don't even have to read my notes because this is a movie that I have seen, and I'm not exaggerating, probably like 750 times. I would say more than that. Maybe like 1,500. Okay, I think about the fact that it's on, there are, what, 365 days a year? Yeah. And you have it on, I would say, 250 days of the year, just in the background? Yes. <laughs> it's for me, like... The same kind of thing as when someone comes home and, like, maybe lights a candle or something. Like, I will put on When Harry Met Sally and just leave it on the background as, like, a de-stressor. To fall. I used to fall asleep to it every night for years. I've, I've seen it probably thousands of times, to be honest. It's your um, comfort food, but a movie. It is my comfort food movie, absolutely. So, personally, I think, and I think a lot of people share this opinion, that When Harry Met Sally is the best rom-com of all time. Because it's actually a good movie. It's really well written. It's one of the only... I mean, there aren't a ton of romantic comedies that are actually, like, really quality. That have, like, great actors giving great performances. An amazing director. A great screenwriter. It's just kind of a perfect film. Yeah, it was um, the perfect film at the perfect time. Although it's really interesting. I, for whatever reason, was on some sort of, like, K-hole with... Reading. Oh, I just always read the old um, Roger Ebert reviews from the time mm. we came out. And yeah, I was reading some reviews of when Harry met Sally, and people were just kind of. Some people didn't like it. Really, like, very interesting. It, I mean, they were basically just like it completely rips off Woody Allen. 
it is very well I mean of course the relationship that like New York City plays to the film is super um similar to Woody and Allen the music, and, and the, music. the music is similar to Woody Allen too and yeah. the, and the you know like the sex comedy thing like that yeah like, at the time that you know it's from our perspective it's kind of hard to see it from their perspective but like if you had just seen like whichever I can't remember he compares it to Manhattan I guess it's um, I think it's more similar to Annie Hall for sure okay. because it's like the although the relationship here ultimately is realized whereas but yeah it's definitely not dissimilar let's put it that way yeah but I think that like because they're had there wasn't like a huge rom-com like explosion which has happened in our lifetimes like back then there weren't a lot of movies like that so that they were like this is just this guy's just ripping off Woody Allen like totally uh, which is really interesting to think about because the soundtrack is also just like a big part of that movie the soundtrack is a big part of the movie um it has I feel like it has a little bit less of like the pseudo intellectualism than like Woody Allen films do but it's definitely not dissimilar, but I think this is like, it's just a little bit lighter. It's a little bit more approachable. Um, and it's great. So it's, it came out July 21st, 1989. It's funnier. It's funnier. It's, it's great. It's a great film. Whether it's like ripped off, uh, Woody Allen rip off around, it's incredible. So directed by one of the great directors of all time, Rob Reiner and written by Ms. Nora Ephron. Um, it is basically based on their relationship, um, except they never had sex, but the characters are both based on, like, Harry is based on Rob Reiner and Sally is written, um, to be Nora Ephron and all the kind of food things, like the, the very particular ways of ordering, um, and her eccentricities though that Sally's character has, I guess Nora Ephron had the same kind of thing. So. For anyone who has not seen When Harry Met Sally, it is about two people that drive from Chicago to New York together after they finish college. Now, fun fact, in this film, Meg Ryan was 26 years old and Billy Crystal was 44. Oh, my God. He's 44? (laughs) Yeah. He was 44. Christ. So they're both supposed to be playing like 22-year-olds in the beginning of the movie or she's supposed (laughs) to be 21. And he's 44. Although he looks very hot. In the no, beginning. I agree. He looks great, but it's hilarious to me because everyone's like, "Man, in the in the olden days, everyone looks so old." But I'm like, "Man, Billy Crystal was old. He was actually old." And I always want to call him Billy Joel. I apologize. <laughs> I probably will slip into that by accident. But anyway, they drive from college to New York. Then, like years pass, they meet again on a plane. More years pass, and then finally they become friends. Then they fuck each other. He gets weird because he's a dude, and then. Um, ultimately they end up together. Spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. But, um, anyway, so, um, Nora Ephron was famously very into food. She, like, loved cooking. She was notoriously an amazing cook. She made a lot of, fil- all, like, a lot of her films have a lot to do with food. Um, I didn't realize in Heartburn that, because I had never read the book, that, um, Meryl Streep's character in Heartburn was supposed to be a food writer. I thought she was just a writer. They don't really talk about that in the film. In right. She, yeah, there's she's a food writer and there are recipes in the book. Right. And it makes so much more sense that it's called Heartburn. <laughs> right. Totally. I, I was like, oh, this is why this movie is called Heartburn or this book or whatever. Both. But anyway, um, in the f- little fun fact, in the first draft of when Harry met Sally, they do not end up together. 
Um, cause it was like right after Rob Reiner's divorce from, yeah. uh, Penny Marshall. And he, he originally was like, I don't want them to end up together. And the first two people that were going to play Harry and Sally were Albert Brooks and Susan Day. Who's Susan Day? I don't know, actually. I didn't really look it up, but we know good old Albert Brooks, who I love. Um, if anyone has never seen the movie Defending Your Life, it's incredible. And I mean, he's amazing in a lot of other things, but so glad that it wasn't him. He looks a little bit like Billy Crystal, but he is not Billy Crystal. I don't find him to be attractive sexually. Albert Brooks is not sexually attractive whatsoever. Although neither is Billy Crystal, really. In this movie that he has some moments, it really all depends on what they're doing with his hair. Yep, and that's his beard. exactly right. Um, but okay. I think his buddy is way more attractive. The Bruno one Kirby, who's the most yeah. amazing person ever and randomly just... Bruno Kirby got a rash and went to the doctor and they're like, your rash means you have leukemia. And he died three weeks later. Yeah, it's really sad. Really terrible. He was, by all accounts, an incredible human being. Um, and one of the great character actors of our time. So now I'm going to take you through every single food moment in the entire movie of When Harry Met Sally. I can't. <laughs> From the beginning right until the end. First thing I want to talk about. while they When they first meet each other and they're beginning their drive from Chicago to New York, Billy Crystal pulls out basically a cartoon uh bunch of grapes from the back seat and asks Sally if she wants a grape and she says no she doesn't like eating between meals which obviously shows it's like you know food and film is used for a variety of different reasons to humanize characters but it's also a great way to like describe what a character is like yeah um and Nora Ephron famously watched her figure she was very 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 thin and yes but like I, I just think it's so funny that eating between meals I, I I'm the opposite of that obviously but um, a grape? Like I know. A grape? <laughs> uh, you can't try one grape. Uh, but, you know, they do a lot. Like, all of the kind of food stuff in this movie is designed to give kind of uh, flesh out Sal- uh, Meg Ryan's character of Sally. Yeah. But there's it not much. It so uptight. It does make her seem so uptight. And there's not a lot of character development with Harry, honestly. We kind of leave the movie not really knowing almost anything about either of them. It but only- we... Yeah, the only time that we even see Harry be like vulnerable is when they're in the what singing this Oklahoma theme song or whatever. Yes, that is a stereo with the fringe on top. Incredible. <laughs> um, that's probably one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I laugh every time I watch it. Um, but anyway, so the grapes is kind of just showing that he's like a jerk. He's supposed to be like a college age jerk, but really he's just a jerky middle aged man. Um, and a wig and she doesn't eat between meals so then they get to the diner that happens very shortly after I think it's interesting that the two scenes in the film where like Meg Ryan really like blurts out things about sex are both in these like diner situations which I don't know if that's trying to say that like we I think what what Nora Ephron's trying to get across is that we think of her as this prissy kind of uptight woman but she's really like comfortable kind of making an ass of herself in public I also, I always think of these two things together because in Sleepless in Seattle, um, she's, Meg Ryan is driving down to, I guess, DC from Baltimore or something. Mm-hmm. And she, she stops at a diner. Like instead of going like, mm-hmm. through McDonald's or something, she stops at a diner to get a cup of tea, which ends up being like a, you know, she can hear it. She can hear the radio, which is important, like to the plot or whatever. Yes. But I just think it's so strange that like, in both situations, they go to a diner. 
It's interesting, yeah. Nora Ephron must have had something for diners, which we share with her. I love a diner, and I know you do too. Yes. So he but- gets a he gets a number three at the diner. We don't know what that is, and she famously gets a chef salad dressing on the side, and then this overcomplicated order about pie, whether she wants ice cream on it. What I think is the most kind of ghastly thing about this whole interaction is that she, first of all, orders a pie a la mode at the same time as a chef salad. Like, I don't understand why maybe she wouldn't get it for a dessert. Especially because she wants it to be heated. She wants it to be heated with strawberry ice cream. So I'm like, what happens here? Either you take a bite of chef salad with like ham swirls, which first of all is probably the most dangerous order um, (laughs) for foodborne illnesses from a diner, aside from getting like, I don't know, sushi. But um so she gets this chef salad and the pie and she wants strawberry ice cream with it. And like this, I mean, this is just has to be mentioned. There's no, almost no people of color, no black people, no people of color whatsoever in this entire film. The only two people of color with any lines in the movie are a waitress at the diner and a flight attendant. And she's rude to both of them. <laughs> and yeah. so just got to put also, that out there. That is not I, chill. You know, I wasn't, going to diners in this time I was whatever six or four or something but Mm -hmm. um in my experience late stage capitalism world there is never strawberry ice cream at the diner yeah it's very fringe it's very fringe it's a very like specific request and it's fine to have a specific request I understand that like especially at a diner you can get things like the way you want them that's the whole function of going to a diner but you don't have to be a fucking cunt about it (laughs) she's like I mean I love Meg Ryan and I love the character of Sally but she's like I'll have the chef salad and then the pie and if you don't have vanilla ice cream then I'll have strawberry but on the side and it's like you know, you don't have to behave this way off the bat. Nobody's challenging you. <laughs> I right. don't know if, why she... If you don't have it, then no pie. Then just the pie, but no ice cream or whatever. But not heated. And it's like, yeah. relax, dude. Okay? Anyway. Also, I would never ask for the pie to be heated. I just think the whole thing... I mean, obviously, we know why she does it. And it's a great scene. But it's just also very, like, okay. This is overboard. <laughs> Next scene... Another that great has... rom-com. Huh? What did I you say? It... Oh, another great rom-com. Yeah, that is another one of the great rom-coms of all time. Okay, so now we are on the plane. This is when they've met each other for the second time. And Sally orders a tomato juice and she asks if there's Bloody Mary mix. She goes, hang on, this is what I want. And she wants regular tomato juice with a splash of Bloody Mary mix in it and no alcohol because she's uh, crazed. (laughs) Um, People drank a lot less in the movies in the 80s. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there are a couple scenes with like drinking, like at the dinner scene, Carrie Fisher's having a Coca-Cola where everyone else is drinking. Although that was when I thought about it, I'm like maybe she's having a rum and coke. Anyway, next scene, they go to the boathouse in Central Park. Uh, Sally has just broken up with her boyfriend. She's with an unnamed character actress and America's true sweetheart, R.I.P. Carrie Fisher. God bless her. Got, like, truly the greatest, most wonderful, joyful, best contribution to Hollywood on probably ever. Um, Carrie Fisher is there. She pulls out a giant Rolodex. Carrie Fisher is <laughs> from there. From her purse. Yeah. Also, like, so heavy. The 80s, what a wild time. <laughs> you had to bring, like, to do what you now do on your iPhone, you had to bring, like, a typewriter, uh, a Rolodex, a stenographer. <laughs> I also, so I think I mentioned this at some point. I think the last time we talked about this movie on the podcast, which was like, you know, yesterday. Last time. <laughs> um, I I was just like sort of anecdotally saying that um, 
people just seemed to go on more dates back then. But uh-huh. actually, it's true. Like, even so, I was reading this article actually, unfortunately, about this like socialite who got murdered in the 90s but she worked in like publishing in the 90s and they were just like this the people were like retelling like what it was like to work with her and stuff and they're like this was just like the time of dates like you would like the land of a thousand dates they're just right. like on a saturday night you literally go out on a date whether or not you actually like do anything they're just like and there were all these book parties and just like all these places to go on dates to and not yeah. even just because of covid it's just like not that way anymore like our and totally. I'm, sort of, I'm nostalgic for something I never really experienced. Like, yeah, or people go on dates, but on like just not the same. Like you don't go out to dinner with someone on a first date, really. I mean, I've done right. it, but it's terrible. <laughs> yeah. It's I mean, horrible. You, you have yeah. I just feel like you're not so good at the the dating in a series though. You're not, you know, you're you're new to that. me oh on like dating people yeah usually I like meet somebody and then like we end up living together like three weeks later and and (laughs) comedy ensues (laughs) obviously and it's worked out with every single one of them and that's why I now have 25 husbands ex-husbands ex-husbands um all right the next thing we see with food is that this is a very brief scene but it's a montage and we see them in a Chinese restaurant Again, giving a person of color a hard time. <laughs> um, so then the next thing is when they're at the Met and they're talking about paprikash. Wait, what happens in the Chinese restaurant? I don't remember. No, it's like a very quick scene. It's just like in a montage. You don't even hear them talking. You just There's uh, a shot from outside where like she's like giving the waiter in the Chinese restaurant a hard time and Harry like puts his hand on his head and you can tell that she's making like a specific order and being a bitch. Sure. So then they're at the Met. And it's that amazingly beautiful scene where they're alone in the um, pyramid room in the Egyptian wing of the Met. And they're talking about, waiter, I would, there's too much pepper on my paprikash. Mm-hmm. I'm actually, in honor of this, making chicken paprikash for what dinner. Is, what is paprikash? I, I thought you'd never ask. That's tomato pa- sauce? I, don't, I never remember. Yes, it's a little bit. So you basically start some garlic and onion with like lots of paprika. I put in some cinnamon because I thought it'd be a nice touch. It's a Hungarian dish. And yes. um, my grandmother on my mom's side was Hungarian. Um, and then tomatoes, which some people argue is not traditional and some people say it is. Butter, chicken stock, and then sour cream. And you like melt the sour cream into it. Uh, yeah. to thicken it and then you bake it so I'm gonna make that for myself after we get out of here <laughs> and uh one cup of chicken paprikash will set you back 298 calories not a bad situation yeah if you pack it into a cup like a cup measurement before you eat it this like beautiful chicken just try to squish it into a cup depending okay. how size depending on the size of your chicken chunks that could exactly be <laughs> I'm putting I'm doing chicken on the bone a chicken leg so I'm gonna have to crack the bones in half in order to get it in my cup Yowza. to make sure I'm only having 298 calories um here we are Nicole we've arrived at the piece de resistance the cat's oh. deli scene hold on I, before we get there I just yeah. want to I want to put in a little um behind the scenes pop-up video about oh, please. that paprikash scene so if anyone's familiar with the movie hopefully you are if you're not I don't know what the hell <laughs> But so during that scene, you can see Meg Ryan look over and she's actually looking at the director because that's all improv. Right. He's ad-libbing, right? Yeah, yeah. He's completely improvising. And you can see Meg Ryan like look over 
it's very I, I've always remembered her looking over and I thought it was part of her acting being like oh my god who's listening to this but it's very clearly her like looking over being and then being like keep going with it keep going with it so that's when she starts mimicking what he's mimicking but it's all ad lib and she's clearly very uncomfortable with it she doesn't do great in that scene I don't think yeah that's so interesting well she's uncomfortable with a couple of things as we're gonna find out in a moment <laughs> but I mean she's I, mean, I think she's great she's such a great like I love her but I just think in that moment it's just I always pay attention. I think I probably wanted to be an actor at some point. And I just love moments like that where you can see the actors actually like acting during yeah. the movie. And I think it's cool. Anyway. Totally. You know, it's funny. I read that yesterday and I, for some reason, thought they said at the 28 second mark. And so I was looking for um, the 28 second mark from the beginning. But I bet they were saying 28 seconds from that the beginning of that scene. Oh, where you can see her look over? Yes. Yeah. I just always noticed that as a child watching this movie. And then when I found out about it, I'm like, oh, because it, it fits in. I think that's why they left it in the movie. It fits yeah. in. It looks like she's just kind of looking around the, the museum to see if anyone else is watching Billy Crystal. Up. At this point, I guess, supposed to be like a 70-year-old man. <laughs> yeah, now he's in his late <laughs> 80s at this point in the film. Um, okay, so... This is very interesting. First, I want to mention the most shocking thing I think about this whole scene is not her faking an orgasm in the middle of Cass's Delicatessen, which is on Houston Street for anyone not from New York. It's been there for a long time. Great Jewish deli, classic New York institution. <clears throat> but their sandwiches, he's eating like a regular either pastrami or corned beef sandwich. And she's eating a turkey sandwich, but she takes off basically all of the turkey except mm-hmm. for one thin slice there's like seemingly no mustard on it or anything else and just, she's just eating like one thin slice of turkey on dry bread so i know i also i mean i do agree with that i don't want to have a sandwich that's so full of meat slices like that like i don't mm-hmm. i don't need that but um this scene to me is so interesting because it was meg ryan's idea like, it wasn't in the original script. Right. It was it's her kind, idea. It was everybody's idea, though, as we come to find out. No, I mean, it, everyone admitted that Meg Ryan is the one who came up with her doing this. She but came it, up with the orgasm, but then, like, Billy Crystal came up with saying, I'll have what she's having. And... And then Rob Reiner put his mom in there. Yeah. So. Oh, actually, it says that it was... I think it actually might have been... It was... um Rob Reiner's girlfriend who suggested that they talk about women faking orgasms. Then Meg Ryan suggested that she fake it. And then Billy Crystal suggested that, um, that someone say, I'll have what she's having. And the woman who says I'll have what she's having ends up being Rob Reiner's mom. I know. That's what I just said. Rob Reiner's mom. (laughs) But I think the point, I just think that, you know, based on what we know of this character, she would never do this. I know, it's interesting. I guess the only reason that maybe we think she would is because in that diner scene, she does start talking about, like, how she had great sex really loud. So perhaps yes. that's the reason for, like, why that's in there. She feels free in a diner situation, which yes. most people don't because of the lighting. And... <laughs> She's like, I'm in a diner. It's time for me to start. No, oh, I can't imagine that almost anyone would do this. But, but also and- she does an excellent job of faking an orgasm. And I... I really do appreciate the conversation because it's so true. It's like every guy thinks that no one's ever faked it with them and every woman has faked an orgasm. Totally. And most women fake orgasms. A lot of women fake orgasms often. So 
this kind of was like a crucial, I was reading a lot about this and it makes perfect sense, but it was a crucial moment for like, you know, feminism in that this was finally a conversation that other women were able to be like, oh, yeah, I do that. I didn't know that anyone else did that. I I think we should stop, you know, making it. Right. We're being very, well, first of all, this movie is very gender normative and very heteronormative. And so therein lies why I'm being Many people fake orgasms and we should all. All kinds of people do fake orgasms. But at the time, this was what was being written about and who they were like, there was like a big article I read about someone, the journalist was interviewing specifically like cis women about, you know, whatever, um, whether or not they did this. And so apparently in theaters, when they were showing it really? to Really? They were, like, that surprised by it? I guess, I guess that's news. They were just surprised that other people experienced the same thing and that it was being shown in a film. It was, like, a big deal. And then yeah. apparently when the movie was, like, shown to test audiences, um, like, the women, when that, like, when that scene came on, were, like, hysterical and, like, loving it. And, like, the men were just, like, totally silent and then eventually started laughing a little bit to, like, fit in so they didn't seem, like, totally weird. But, yeah, that's apparently what happened. And then also, um, according to reports, um, investigative journalistic reports, Mm. Meg Ryan was, like, really worried about doing because she didn't know what Dennis Quaid would think, who she had just started dating at the time. Um, but she ended up just doing it anyway. But he, yeah. I guess she didn't want him to think that, like, she was faking orgasms with him. I read some, like, gossip about their whole relationship. And it's just very sad about the beginning of their relationship. Like, she thought it was, like, this great Hollywood, like, match. Mm-hmm. Which I guess at the time his career was, like, taking off or whatever. But now, <laughs> I don't know. Just, like, looking at it from the perspective of our time, I'm just, it's so sad to think that, like that was the guy that she got with because like to me she's like the babe of the century she has a great bod totally great I mean, not that green eyes are, she probably has a terrible personality which is the only thing that's important <laughs> like, now you I sound like Bruno kirby you know freaking i would have gotten with meg ryan in the 80s okay and me too she she's perfect like, dennis quaid i'm just like why like there's <laughs> Honestly, I would rather have her be with Randy Quaid. Like, a hundred percent. There is a, a restaurant, um, like a Middle Eastern restaurant on on Atlantic Avenue, kind of by my house, that has a signed picture of Dennis Quaid in the window. And there's no other celebrity like photos. It's just him. I mean, I just I don't even. I mean, there's definitely. I've been watching a lot of old movies, so there there are movies that he's in where I could see like his like sex appeal thing that was happening. But he just always has seemed like a cad to me, and like I just yeah. He plays one on TV. Like, he I don't know. sure does. Um, guess- and yeah, like in Postcards from the Edge, if you wanted to talk about more connections, a movie that uh, Carrie Fisher wrote about her life. Oh, with yeah. I just watched. I just watched it. That's what I'm thinking of, too. But he just like perfectly embodies that. But I also like just don't find him. I don't know. I've, I've never got why she was with him. But he's a poor man's Kevin Costner. Let's just be honest about it. Sorry, Dennis. I know you're probably listening. You can go to hell. <laughs> Um, okay. okay, so we're talking about the mid '80s, oh, but anyway, I'm sorry. Hold on, I'm lo- I'm losing my train of thought because of all this cremant that I'm drinking alone. But um, <laughs> the person was being really bitchy in the gossip, and they were like, Meg Ryan was describing like her meet cute with Dennis Quaid, like it was like the one of like the love stories of Hollywood history. Like, and they were like, No, like you guys are just like both hot. There's not like an undying love. Like the person was being really mean, but I'm like now with perspective, it's just so true. Poor Meg. 
poor Meg. Meg, it's fine. She moved on to John Kluger Mellencamp. She's in a better place now. They're not together anymore. Ugh, darn it. Okay. Well, moving on. <laughs> next scene that we're He's going to. Indiana. I don't know if you know that. I did not know. The next scene we're going to talk about is perhaps my favorite scene in the entire movie because it has my favorite line in any movie of all time, which is the scene where they go on the double date uh, when Marie and Jess, Bruno Kirby's character and Carrie Fisher's character are supposed to be set up with Harry and Sally, but they end up falling for each other. (laughs) And (laughs) um, Bruno Kirby says, I also said pesto is the quiche of the 80s, (laughs) which is the greatest line in any movie ever first she quotes back to him it's so charming and this is the thing so woody allen and like there's nothing the same in woody allen as this like the funny swapping of dates that is also just like i don't know it just works out really well they did a really good job with it and yeah well because in that scenario the other person would have to be comfortable with dating a 13 year old uh, that woody (laughs) allen would have brought to them for dinner listen i'm not trying to promote Woody Allen here or say anything about I love Woody Allen's films I'm I'm just saying that like in the comparison you definitely would have to say that like this is like a zippier and like just like you know that scene in a Woody Allen movie wouldn't have gone the same way it would have no totally and there's a hundred percent more Bruno Kirby in this movie yeah and it's also just like that dinner scene is so funny because they just like clearly can't stand each other and it's incredible it's really great she quotes a line from something that he's written, which is, I guess, a New York thing that maybe happened in the 80s, but, you know. She goes, Rest- restaurants wrote to people in the 80s, but theater was people in the 60s, and he goes, I wrote that. And she's so blown away and goes, I also wrote Pesto is the quiche of the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, so, my favorite line from this movie is Baby Fishmouth. Baby from- Fishmouth is amazing. <laughs> when That's in the next scene. So I just want to wrap it up on Cafe Luxembourg. They go on this amazing double date where the two friends end up falling in love with each other, but it's great because they end up getting married. Cafe Luxembourg was like an it spot. It was the second Keith McNally restaurant that he opened after the Odeon. It was supposed to be like the Odeon Uptown. It's still there. Um, Oh, sorry. I have one more fun fact about this movie. Sorry. Yes. Is that the scene... Wait, maybe you're going to talk about this, but the scene where they get in a fight... This is before they're married, I think, about the... Wagon wheel coffee table? Yeah, that was a real thing. So Nora Ephron famously just stole scenes from her friends actual lives um so that was an actual fight i can't remember the people that were uh, fighting about it but they're like important famous people um and because of the movie they couldn't get rid of the coffee table so they just put it in their hamptons house which she was like <laughs> once though i put it in the movie i couldn't possibly get rid of it so it's in our hamptons house now and I that's just amazing it- hilarious that's when bruno kirby pulls out the best outfit of the whole film even though it's a movie like the second thing to like i'd say the greatest thing about the film is new york city and then the second greatest is the fashion and the third is the food but so bruno kirby is wearing a short sleeve sweatshirt Yep. Jean shorts and then black like dress shoes with white socks it's and also (laughs) in that scene after they're kicked out because of the embarrassing fight Meg Ryan's outfit you get a full view of it because they're like the cameras in the street and you can see her whole outfit there and you're just like oh this is who can wear pleated pants someone who has zero body fat yes every outfit she wears is amazing so moving on the next quick food thing when they're doing the charades at Jess Marie's new apartment um the baby fish mouth scene they talk about how Billy Crystal's new girlfriend is Aunt Emily and she makes 1,500 chocolate mousse pies a week. And I always love that because my <laughs> parents, too. my parents, when they had their business, the Love and Oven in Huntington, was around the same time in the 80s and chocolate mousse was like very 
popular. And so I always think about my parents because they made 1,500 chocolate mousse pies a week. So I love this. And I also love that Billy Crystal's dating someone even younger than Meg Ryan. So that means that he's like 175 years old <laughs> and he's dating a 25-year-old successful caterer. Pie, successful mousse pie maker. So then they have sex. Or I think she's supposed to be like Marie Callender. <laughs> <laughs> she's a pie heiress. It all, it's callback to five hours ago <laughs> when we were talking about Hallmark. She's Marie Callender. Marie so then they're in Sally's apartment. They have sex, um, and she grabs a bottle of Avion out of the fridge instead of just New York City's finest, and is like super happy pouring Avion into a cup. And I've well, always thought that was very funny. Before we know about recycling, oh, I know it's so funny. <laughs> I the scene, the thing that stuck with me so much was the part where she talks about she's upset because her her boyfriend, her long term boyfriend, is marrying someone else. Yes, and so then they have sex with each other. But she's also talking about how they never wanted to have kids because they could just have sex anywhere. And then he's like, like in the kitchen. And she's like, no, we never actually had sex in the kitchen because there's a cold Mexican tile. Yeah. And it would be so hard against your skin. <laughs> yeah. That line stuck with me before I fully understood what it meant. And I think it's still a little bit of a, it's definitely like a bougie way of talking about whether or not you're going to have sex in the kitchen. Totally. I was um, like, what's Mexican tile? What is that? <laughs> um, you went to the library because you were nine and you, there was no Google then? I was uh, just like, Mexican tile? This makes no sense. And then later when I found out Mexican tile was, I was like, oh, it is very delicate. You would not want to like <laughs> mess it up. Uh, okay. So moving on. After that, they go to... This is the only thing I couldn't find. I couldn't find what this restaurant was. It kind of looks like the old tavern on the green. But they go for basically a talk about how it was a mistake. They eat mixed green salads that are gigantic, but they look very crunchy. <laughs> then we next see them um, in a food situation at Jess and Marie's wedding, which happens at the Puck Building, which yes. is downtown in Soho, in case anyone doesn't know. It's where that... Um, what is it? Like Eastern Mountain Sports is or something or REI... It's the Aria, yeah, and also that's where the New Year's oh the New Year's Eve parties at the end. They're both at the Puck Building. Thing, both yeah. those events take place there. So uh, somebody comes by and asks her if she wants a pea pod with a shrimp, which is amazing because that's such a sign of the times. Everything, if you look at like eighties and nineties cookbooks, everything had a fucking snow pea or a snap pea with it. Like a pea, <laughs> pea pods were so popular, it was unbelievable. They were everywhere. Then, and the next thing about that that I think is interesting is that some people are sitting down eating dinner while they're, like, having past apps, but then they go into the kitchen to have this fight where she slaps him, and right. someone's bringing out a huge tray of, like, eclairs and cannolis. Also, okay, in the movies, people are always going into the fucking kitchen to have a fight, and that is rude. You should never do this. It would never happen. If anyone ever came into my kitchen to have a fight, I I really don't even know what I would do. I would yeah. kindly not ask them to leave. You, not even you. Think about a bad boy chef. Yeah, exactly. Head. Like Dylan Dirk Diggler or whatever that guy's <laughs> like fucking name Dabella's was. cooking while he's on a motorcycle. Like Dirty Dallas the chef. <laughs> too dangerous, but... The Department of Health does not allow you to go back into whatever kitchen you want to have a fight. So everyone exactly know that. Stop having those fights. Put them somewhere else. Put them outside. Have a cigarette outside. It's fine. Exactly. Next time we see a food thing, Harry is eating Malamars by himself on New Year's Eve. Uh, is just, he eating Malamars? That's yes. very cool that you picked that up. I never noticed that. He talks I do think about that it. It's interesting that um, the part where they're like 
so obviously like in love but they don't know it is where they call each other on the phone because they have insomnia and they watch old movies together that part yes. to me is very romantic because i do that for myself here it's very sweet Canada. we do that they watch casablanca together yeah, it's very love, sweet and i just wish casablanca was on tv more but um it's interesting that she and rob Ryder never got together because if they were doing that that's some serious romance yeah that's true um, quick fact about Malamar, 70% of them are sold in New York State. Why? Who knows? Oh. Um, so then the last, there's two more quick things. He then is eating Malamars. He goes out for a walk on New Year's Eve in New York City in a thin coat and gets an ice cream cone at like, oh, what we're meant <laughs> to think is 11 p.m. I know. It's so funny because that part, <laughs> that and while you're sleeping where they walk, they, they walk by the water in the middle of the winter, which in a very thin coats they would have actually died of hypothermia yeah um you're just like no you would never do this i know it's very strange and there's then, like nobody really around him it's one of the weirdest parts of the whole film and then based on where he actually lived like where his apartment is it would have been not cool for him to walk outside totally then at the very last scene with the two of them uh they were talking about how they ended up together. They got married and they had a wedding cake. There was a coconut cake with a very rich chocolate sauce on the side, which again, to me, it just makes no sense. I don't, I don't understand. I know why anyone would get like chocolate cake with, uh, with coconut cake and put chocolate sauce on it. It seems Although really I'm thinking of like a, like a quick bread, like really dense kind of a loaf, I guess mm-hmm. you would maybe want to have a chocolate sauce on the side. It's really weird. So, couple very quick things I just want to mention about the greatest character in this film, of course, Carrie Fisher, uh, who is Marie in the film. Carrie Fisher famously has said that her favorite food was Coca-Cola. In December 2016, before she died, um, she was on the Ellen DeGeneres show and she said that she drinks 16 Cokes per day. But she doesn't finish all of them because she likes them very cold. And then she choked like, What's his name with his wine? Yeah, and then Gerard she, Depardieu. Gerard, she uh, choked on a Brussels sprout in the middle of Dan Aykroyd proposing to her, and he had to get her the Heimlich maneuver. Yeah, so he proposed to her during the Blues Brothers movies, yeah. which she's in the one movie, not all of them, and she got back together with Paul Simon instead. I know, and then they, and then, then Dan Aykroyd married like a super hottie, an alien, and he's um, still married to this day. So Nora Ephron died in 2012 and she left her closest friends with a memento, a self-published compilation of recipes that she put together. Um, And it's 174 pages of unpublished recipes and observations. And those who have it apparently guard it very closely. And I just wanted to read something that is not from When Harry Met Sally. It's from Heartburn, but I thought it was very sweet. Um, just talking about food and rom-coms and the kind of trope, you know, that we didn't even get into discussing how the trope is always like someone gets their heart broken and just like eats an unreasonable amount of Chinese food or ice cream or whatever. But anyway, so Nora wrote in Heartburn, in the end, I always want potatoes, mashed potatoes, nothing like mashed potatoes when you're feeling blue, nothing like getting into bed with a bowl of hot mashed potatoes already loaded with butter and methodically adding a thin, cold slice of butter to every forkful. The problem with mashed potatoes, though, is that they require almost as much hard work as crisp potatoes. And when you're feeling blue, the last thing you feel like doing is hard work. Of course, you can always get someone else to make mashed potatoes for you. But let's face it. That's not true. 
But let's face it, the reason you're blue is that there isn't anyone to make them for you. (laughs) (laughs) I also just think, I'm like, this to me is like why she's thin. She's like, oh, the only thing that would come for me right now is mashed potatoes and I'm too sad to make them. And I'm like, the only thing that would come for me right now is whatever I can scrounge about in the kitchen. And I'll do that (laughs) in my bed. So that is the story of When Harry Met Sally, uh, a very food-centric film. I actually think it's, I would consider it a food film. And I love it so much. If you haven't seen it, please go watch it. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, email me. I want to know why and yeah. how and possibly how. You could have never seen it. If you haven't seen it, now you've seen it because I just explained literally everything that happens in the entire film. We really gloss over a lot of scenes. We do. There, You don't see any boobs or penises. Let's just put it that way. So should You're we also- t- don't really understand what Harry does for a living or like how he got that. He's job. a political analyst. But like, what is that? Who knows? He's a pundit. <laughs> He's I mean, a political pundit. True. That's probably true. But like, a political analyst is not a job. <laughs> I know. It's very, we don't, they, there's no backstory in this film about these characters. We you literally know, know almost nothing about them. It's very weird. One of my favorite things about, so Joan Didion reviewed Annie Hall and she talked a bunch of shit about it because no one in the movie actually does any work. Mm-hmm. That's true. <laughs> Which I think is so funny because I'm like, but like, I don't want to watch a movie about someone working. You know, like, I just thought that it's her, if you, if you can find it, it's not that hard to find, but Joan Didion dissecting Annie Hall and the Woody Allen romance. It's just to me so funny because she's also bourgeois too. Like, I don't know. Oh, she's like, so bougie. It's almost, just, it's like, crazy. What are you talking about? I'm going to read that later. It's very, I just like, I like, it doesn't hit, I mean. People worship her. I enjoy her very much, but um, you know, she was a very privileged person, and yeah. like her whole—I don't know—it's it's interesting. But it she's very like, yeah, these people are always getting phone calls, and they never work. And I'm like, but do you want to see people working in a movie? Like, is that what's going to compel you forward to keep watching? Is figuring out how—I mean, honestly, yes. Figuring out how Billy Crystal became a political analyst from his college That's days the in Chicago <laughs> would intrigue me. And it would intrigue a lot of people because we all need career help. Billy, no please call us. How do you become a political analyst? Inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> also, what is your favorite food? I couldn't find that out on the internet. Billy Crystal. His call. favorite food is hosting the Oscars. <laughs> um, okay, let's talk about our top three. We got to get out of here. We're going so long, but I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Um, Nicole, top three favorite rom-coms. Top three favorite rom-coms. I don't think that Sleeps in Seattle is actually a rom-com, but... It is. It's, it's very sad. My love, Sleeps in Seattle, it's my... When Harry Met Sally, like, put it on the background. Rosie O'Donnell in that, so excellent. Like, really. She's amazing. Like, so good. And Nora sort of got her into that role, which helps her career. It's very sweet. She also ended up getting her an apartment in her building. Whatever. Um, Next favorite rom-com is probably hold on i have to you go you go ahead of me because i have to rearrange okay i'm gonna go ahead my three favorite rom-coms in no particular order just kidding this is in total (laughs) order um this is very appropriate for the holiday i love the family stone Mm. which is a holiday film so implausible but so enjoyable it's so enjoyable it's such a wonderful watch i might even watch it later tonight it's great i never get sick of it you know and sarah jessica parker plays like cold so well she does she's wonderful in this film it's really great um my second favorite is you've got mail 
Love. Love. You've Got Mail. It's incredible. And then my first favorite, obviously, is When Harry Met Sally. Yes. Um, you Got Mail is my number two. I just, that's one of the movies, too. I, there's also a really great article where, um, shit, the woman who <laughs> wrote The Office, what is her name? Mindy Kaling? Yeah. Mindy Kaling talks about how she just has a really great, it's one of her favorite movies of all time she just has a really great kind of like analysis of this movie Mm -hmm. but she's analyzing it with love and she mentioned something that has always kind of like stuck with me and never really been fully realized she was like meg ryan and tom hanks are in their 40s but they act like they've never had sex before in their entire life and it's true (laughs) they both are like living with other people but the way that they interact with each other is so like pure and like hesitant it's like they've never had sex before and totally you both just ignore the fact that they're in their 40s and not in their 30s it's um it's very funny and yeah i think that my my newest favorite rom-com i don't want to sound like a, a nerd but trouble in paradise is it's a love triangle it's very exciting it's from the 1930s but it's never so saw good. It. Yeah, it's Lubitsch, who is famously Nora Ephron's favorite director. He also directed um, The Shop Around the Corner, which is... Right, which is what You've Got Mail is based on. Yeah. Amazing. Um, but it's like one of those movies where you, you know, I like old movies, but I'm not, I'm always like, if it's in the 30s, it's going to be boring. But this movie, it reminds you that in the 30s, everything was like witty and everyone was wearing like a glamorous dress for no reason. And it's just like... You get to watch all this glamour happen while people are training witty barbs. It's very good. Oh, fun. Maybe I'll watch that later. Amazing. Well, this was a great episode. I deeply enjoyed chatting about all things rom-com. Love the Hallmark movies. Can't wait to see what's up with the Lifetime movies. Who knows? Maybe that'll be two weeks from now episode because we are going to be on Thanksgiving break um, next week. But we hope you enjoyed this extra long episode to get you through. You can listen to it in two parts. Yeah, and we don't condone Thanksgiving. It just happens that we're not going to be recording. Exactly. We don't condone it for a multitude of reasons. Don't gather with each other. Don't celebrate the colonization and the (laughs) slaying of Native American peoples. Turkey (laughs) is morally objectionable. (laughs) Stuffing. It's just a bunch of bread baked with butter. (laughs) I think turkey should be killed. They're very killable. Turkeys are evil. If you're feeling sad and alone on Thanksgiving, you should definitely watch Thanks Killing, a movie we talked about two episodes ago. Yes. Highly recommended. It kills human beings. Or the greatest Thanksgiving movie of all time, which is obviously uh, Trains, Planes, and Automobiles. Mm. Or The Big Chill. Uh, the Big Chill. Both think great Thanksgiving movies. All right, guys, we're we're out of here. Hasta la pasta, hasta la stuffing, hasta la mashed potatoes, hasta la whatever. I don't know. I was going to try to think of something from Harry Met Sally, but everything's escaped me somehow. So goodbye. Farewell. <laughs> and happy Thanksgiving to you. Bye. Life's Banquet is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. 
or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening. <laughs>